We live in an ever more regulated society, but is there now too much regulation? Bridget Hutter, Professor of Risk Regulation at the London School of Economics, says there's been a steady growth in regulation since the 19th century, and in some cases it's time to go back to the drawing board. One area you would find as a good example of that would be the health area, um, where recently um, there have been a, there's been a quite a large growth in regulatory organisations, some being state-based and organised by the state, others actually coming out of professional bodies, and some of those are long-standing, like the General Medical Council, um, that's a regulatory body, and the government has actually grown the regulation by starting a form of meta-regulation, so it's brought in bodies which will actually regulate the regulators. So you've seen a growth of layering of different sorts of regulation. It would be good if the health sector, which is quite complicated at the moment in terms of various layering of different regulatory bodies, if we could go back to first principles and have a look and take a broader view, sit down, see what the risks are, what we think needs regulating, who would be best placed to do that and see if it's possible to simplify the structure in the way that's happened actually in other regulatory areas. It's happened in the health and safety area where a number of um, different inspectorates were brought together in the 1970s to create the health and safety executive. Not without it problems, but it's clearly made it a much easier um, regulatory body for, for those who are regulated to deal with. Fewer overlapping uh, regulatory jurisdictions or indeed conflicting ones because often if you have uh, a number of different organisations responsible for regulating in an overlapping way they can contradict each other. Uh, a similar things happened in the financial area in the year 2000 uh, whereby a number of varying different regulators were brought together into one regulatory organisation so something following that model. It's often suggested that the pressure for regulation comes from the government or the European Union and that rules are often forced on us against our will. In fact, says Professor Hutter, usually quite the opposite is true. More often than not with regulation, it's the public that demands it. If you go through the newspapers and you listen to media reports, then you'll find that, that often they'll say there's too much regulation when things are going fine. And the minute there's a disaster or something's gone wrong, they claim there's too little regulation. So they may identify an area where there wasn't regulation and they'll say, why wasn't there? There should have been. Or if there's a, a failure, such as the local uh, most recent financial failure, they will say there was too too, much, too little regulation, whereas if you go back only um, a few months prior to things going wrong in the financial sector, there were years of catalogued complaints about there being too much regulation and innovation being stifled. So people's views on that change according to circumstance. On a deeper level, says Professor Hutter, we all need to re-examine our attitude to risk. For one thing, we probably worry about it more than we should. We're very dependent now on other, other people, other organisations and indeed other countries than we used to be. And because of that we feel less in control and probably feel more vulnerable and more at risk than we used to. I mean, we have to try and remember though that, that while we may feel more vulnerable and we are more at risk in many respects, we're also benefiting from that. We're benefiting from, from food production and food travel in ways that we haven't before so our, our diets are much healthier we're, we're benefiting from drugs and uh, scientific and technological developments that, that weren't available in the past but along with them come some some negative risks which need controlling another thing worth remembering professor hutter says is that we can't eradicate the risk that awful things will happen altogether take the harrowing case of baby p for example 
One of the lessons to learn there is a very, very harsh one because it involves the death of a child, but that is that it's not possible to stop all this materialising. Um, that doesn't mean that one sits back and does nothing, but I think it's a, a general lesson across all sorts of risk regulation. We need to understand that we cannot eliminate all sorts of risks. Um, it's very hard if you have junior social workers with very heavy caseloads um, trying to monitor large numbers of children uh, as to what might be going wrong. It's very hard on a snapshot visit to identify a risk. And that's particularly the case if you're dealing with people who are being very devious. Um, and I think sometimes one of the lessons one might learn from the baby P case is that blaming individuals um, for, for something going wrong needs to take into account a number of things. One, it needs to take into account the perpetrators, and very often I think the regulators get blamed um, rather than the people that perpetrated the problem. And you see the same thing happening in the financial area. It's much easier to blame a regulator for not regulating properly than it is to blame the banks for having done something wrong. So where you allocate responsibility can be problematic, and that needs to be spread. And it needs to be spread across the organisation, not just the person at the bottom or the person at the top, and it needs to go beyond that. It needs to go beyond that and encompass uh, a much broader range of people. Of course, it's that blame culture which lies at the heart of the issue. Everyone wants to avoid being blamed and possibly sued, least of all the government. The prevention of terrorism is a case in point. Well, you can see that, that a government would feel a, a real political need to be seen to be doing everything to stop a terrorist act. Uh, terrorist acts are extremely difficult, unlike many other risks, these are intentional acts. So I think in a sense that maybe puts them into a somewhat different category. Um, that said, it's a very good example of the ways in which risk can command disproportionate resources because one suspects that a huge amount of um, effort and resources being put into um, terrorist prevention um, which runs on the back of, of previous events. So, for example, there was a concern a few years ago, of course, that people were trying to go onto, onto aeroplanes with liquids which could be mixed up and explode the aeroplane. Um, as a result of, of that one incident, um, all of us, whenever we fly now, have to go through very lengthy security measures at huge cost to, to, to airlines and also, of course, to governments. And it's not at all clear that if another terrorist act was to happen, it would be done in that way. In a sense, we need greater resilience. We need people to be generally more um, observing and generally um, more... Uh, watching out for, for problems with terrorism rather than focusing on the last event and pouring huge amounts of resources into it.